1: There is no magic switch that is flipped when you publish a book that you become a different person. You're still the same person.
0: Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to date of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Sierra Godfrey is the author of A Very Typical Family from Sourcebooks and a forthcoming title in September 2023. She was born in Santa Cruz, California, and has lived many places, including Santorini, Greece. She loves hiking, watching soothing British farmland shows, and thinking of stories about messy families. She lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her family, which includes a dog, two cats, and a turtle all of which seemed like a good idea at the time. So please welcome Sierra to the show. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us and sharing your story with all my listeners. Thanks for having me. So we are going to discuss your journey to publication, and we're going to start by going all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing, and then how long did it take from there before you started getting serious about pursuing publication?
1: So I've always been a writer. I've always written stories all my life. I wrote long, meandering, nonsense stories in middle school, high school, before that. But I didn't start seriously writing novels until after the birth of my first son when I was 30. And before then, you know, it was just a mishmash of half-started stories um, with no structure so I never did anything formal with them and I don't know what it was about that time in my life when I was about 30 but I think I needed to have time for me again and then I started writing a longer form st- story and you know what I envisioned would be a novel and it was a whole revelation for me. I'm like, wow, this is this is great. This is what I've been doing all along. And that was it. That was it for me.
0: Nice. So how did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how to query, how to go about it, all that different stuff.
1: Yeah, I definitely knew nothing when I first started, but Twitter, Google writer blogs, writer blogs were essential. They were instrumental. They had so much information about craft, about the business of publishing. I think The biggest thing for me starting out was figuring out what the appropriate word count is for my genre. (laughs) You know, I had started out with a novel that was like 150,000 words, which was ridiculous. So because it wasn't sci-fi and it wasn't fantasy. (laughs) So learning what is commercially appropriate for traditional publishing was really important for me. And then going from there and learning more about craft and plot.
0: So then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from then to signing your first book contract?
1: Yeah, well, as I mentioned, I started writing but didn't know what I was doing. And I wrote a lot of manuscripts and I queried all of them unwisely. (laughs) Uh, When it was clear that uh, one wasn't going to get picked up, then I'd just start writing another. And it took me a long time to write them because I had another baby. I was working a full-time job. So as a result, it took me a long time to figure out what was wrong with them and why I was getting rejected. And listen, I was doing everything right. I had a lot mm-hmm. of writer friends. I had a friend who's an agent. I had people on my side who would review query letters um, and beta read, but I would get and I would get full requests, but I'd get rejected. I'd get loads and loads of rejections, nice rejections, but vague ones like this just isn't for me with no specifics. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what exactly was wrong. And I didn't really get any answers. But what I eventually learned, not because anyone told me, but because I finally got it right, was that my plot and a confused genre and a lack of commercial hook were really the problems. And those Mm. are really difficult sort of intangible things to point out. And I had to learn my, about myself as a writer too. And I, this took a good 10 years because I was doing everything else in my life at that point too. You know, I envy writers who get it right away, but I needed longer and that's okay. And I, I think a lot of writers don't get to hear that enough that, you know, sometimes it takes 10 years, sometimes it takes five, sometimes it takes longer, sometimes it doesn't. Any length of time that it takes for an individual
0: is okay. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about... Your querying journey, you actually, you got an agent, but that wasn't kind of the end of your story, right? So what happened from there?
1: Right. I got an agent and um, we went out on submission and the book didn't get picked up. Okay. No problem. So I wrote another one and we were working on revisions to that when my agent let me know that she was leaving the uh, business, leaving agenting altogether. And that was, that kind of threw me for a loop. And I was like, okay, what do I do now? And the answer is when your agent leaves the business, they don't set you up with another agent automatically. Sometimes that happens, but I think the majority of times that doesn't happen. So I had to query again. That was a really hard thing because it was like, you have worked so hard, you've signed with an agent, the agent believes in you, and then you've got to start all over again. But this time around, I had a manuscript that was much more commercial. And it was uh, much more attractive, I think. And I actually queried, I think, 12 agents and had six full requests and signed happily with my agent now, Melissa Edwards. So it was was a much better situation and (laughs) a happy ending there.
0: Yeah. And then you went on submission with that new book. And how did that journey go?
1: That was great. We spent several months revising and uh, we went on submission. And after about a month and a half, uh, we had an offer and it was great. And I loved the editor, loved the vision for it. And it was now I've got the debut
0: out. It's great because if you just focus on the tail end of your story, you got an agent and a month and a half after going on submission, you got a book deal, right? And that seems like so fast, but then you have to put all of the 10 years and losing the other agent and multiple manuscripts behind that and that's how you got to the point where you could sell a book that quickly is by doing all of that work ahead of time.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think what's important to remember here is that it's really easy to see that end part of it. Oh, the book sold in a month and a half, but you know, nowhere along the process did I think that Oh, I've got it now. Oh, I know what I'm doing now. I never knew what I was doing. (laughs) It's luck and it's timing.
0: Mm -hmm. It is time for the first cue of the podcast. Can you read your successful query letter for us?
1: Sure. Natalie Walker lives a fairly quiet life as a nonprofit worker in Boston, and it only took putting her brother and sister in prison. Actually, it's not that quiet. At age 30, she's scorched more hearts than she can count, and she just got passed over for the promotion that should have been hers, but those are the small things compared to the challenge of her brother and sister facing what they face as ex cons. She wouldn't know because she's been estranged from her family since she imploded it 15 years ago. But when she gets a letter informing her of her mother's death and her inheritance of the family Victorian, suddenly the past is open for inspection. Luckily a love affair shatters on cue propelling Natalie to her hometown of Santa Cruz, California, to find out whether returning can absolve her guilty conscience. But her sister Lynn arrives too, and Lynn's festering rage makes it clear that there's a trash pile of emotion to work out. Neither Natalie nor Lynn are prepared to leave. For Natalie, it would be giving up on making amends and getting to know the sweet nephew she sees herself in, and for Lynn, it would be allowing Natalie to win. For all of them, leaving would mean forfeiting the house to the city and severing their ties to family and home, things that defined and drove their childhoods however twisted their adult lives have become. And anyway, Natalie enjoys seeing old friends in the ridiculous, intriguing Hashir Casillas, who seems to be utterly different than any other man Natalie has left in her dust. But time is running out to keep the house from the city. The past can't just be buried And apologies cannot simply be made. And if Natalie can't fix those things, she
0: stands to lose all trace of her roots, family, and herself. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. So how has your experience been since signing that first book contract? Especially let us know if there was anything that kind of surprised you along the way.
1: Oh, there's loads of surprises. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, I've had a great experience with my agent. Uh, she's sharp, incredible advocate for her clients and a great business partner. Um, I didn't know all that right when I signed with her. You hope that's the case. Um, but it was. it's great to have experienced that. There's plenty of surprises though, like you know, why exactly you want an agent on your side. Writers want agents partly because we know that's a step in the path to traditional publication, but truly you want an agent because that person's your ally and your protector. And when things get dicey, your agent helps guide you. And not every book deal is the same. Not every publisher is the same. Mm -hmm. So as you know, because you're a writer and an agent, it's a unique relationship. So experiencing that and all the nuances that go into that business partnership has been really interesting. But the biggest surprise for me and my path to publication from signing the publication contract was the large amount of waiting that you do. (laughs) (laughs) It is waiting for the contract to be signed. It is waiting Mm -hmm. for edits. It is waiting between every step because of course, a publisher has tons of books that they're dealing with. And I'm sure it's a much different picture on their side of the <laughs> line where they're, you know, busy doing everything and trying to take care of everything. But the waiting for an author is amazing. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just, I had no idea it would just be long stretches of silence. The other really interesting thing that I learned is that there is no magic switch that is flipped when you publish a book that you become a different person. You're still the same person. You are still who you were when you were querying. It's Mm -hmm. just a matter of time. I thought that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, that's great. All right, it is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. It's just classification, so we like to put writers in. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I am a plotter with a side of pants. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Overwriter, always. Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? Always the night. When starting with a new project, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else first?
1: It's concept, but more and more
0: these days, it's also character. Mm. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee first, then loads of tea. When drafting, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Sound. I always have a playlist going while I write. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person?
1: I'm a get it down person. This is a hard one because I want to get it right so badly, right <laughs> out of date. But I've learned that getting it down is more important and then you can go back to get it right.
0: What tools or software do you use to draft?
1: I use Scrivener to draft. I use a plotting structure to help visually guide my chapters files. And then after a solid first draft that's close to being shared, I export it to Word. Do you prefer
0: drafting or revising more? Drafting always. Revising is painful. I feel the same way. (laughs) So many people say revising and it's so surprising. Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Sequential. And final quick round question Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I'm an introvert. All right. Now we're going to talk about the second cue of the podcast. What were some of the qualms or worries that you had on your journey and were they realized or did you overcome them or how did they shake out?
1: I worried that I didn't have the chops to be published. Mm. Um, And I worried that my writing just wasn't good enough. And I'm sorry to say that that feeling never really goes away, (laughs) (laughs) but it's better now that I have an agent and a publisher who believe in me, but you know, those feelings of inadequacy and comparison being the thief of joy never really go away. That was another surprise to me.
0: (laughs) And a third cue, do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of different or interesting or unique?
1: There really isn't. I mean, I'm sure we're all different. We all do things in different ways, but um, no,
0: (laughs) No. nothing to mind. Michael Mame, who was one of the first guests on the podcast, said the most interesting thing about his writing process is that it is completely boring.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess the interesting thing for me is how easily distracted I get.
0: Mm, Yeah. (laughs) When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it?
1: Friends who have been there. That and the fact that I knew I never wanted to stop writing stories ever. That's who I am.
0: Mm. Do you feel like you made any mistakes along the way that you might like to share with listeners so hopefully they can avoid the same ones?
1: Well, obviously I wish that I hadn't spent so many years querying without success, but (laughs) (laughs) probably it was a little bit of many different things, one of which is not taking the time to learn the market. And Mm. if I had, I might not have spent so much time trying to mash genres together um, and learning what's commercially selling I think is really important.
0: Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication?
1: Yeah, my biggest lesson over the many years I've been at this is don't stop. It feels really easy to feel like you'll never get there, especially when you hear stories of people who write a book, get an agent, and get a publishing deal all within what feels like a matter of months or a year. Mm-hmm. But everyone is on their own timeline. And if you stop writing, you will never get where you want to go.
0: There was someone who told me a story. I can't remember who it was now. It might even be another episode on this podcast. Her mother had planted a plant and tended to this plant for six years and it never flowered. And so she ripped it out. And then it turns out that this plant flowers on its seventh year. <laughs> I think about that every time now where it's like, are you going to quit the year before you're going to find the success you're looking for?
1: Oh, that's a good one. I have another one for you. My friend, Kristen Leppert Martin, the author uh, once told me this query story where, you feel like you're cycling up a hill. She's into cycling. So she used mm-hmm. this analogy. You feel like you're just, you're trying to get up that hill and it's really hard if you've ever gone cycling and it's, you know, gravity's against you. It is so hard. And you look over and people are just whizzing down the mountain on their bikes. Whee! You know, everything's <laughs> great. And they are not even breaking and it's just fast. And you're like, you jerks i'm sitting here cycling and it's killing me and hard and and then you realize they did it too they Mm -hmm. did it the first time they got up to the mountain and now they're whizzing down but they've all had to get up that mountain too
0: yeah i think about that a lot this is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own who are some of the people who helped you along the way and how
1: Oh, for sure. Other writers. You meet incredible people in the writing community. And if you're very lucky, they become your friends and your trusted beta readers. One of my friends, Mike Chen, who wrote the New York Times bestseller Star Wars Brotherhood and whose sixth novel will be published in January. He's been there for me from the beginning. And we made a pact early on years ago. We would always be what we would called diplomatically brutal with each other critiques. (laughs) We weren't playing around and we both wanted publication. And so, you know, the feedback we would give each other was bent in a way so that we would get there. It was intended so that we would understand what needed to change to fix it properly.
0: Yeah, I actually just taught a workshop last night. And one of the things that I said was find critique partners who are not afraid to hurt your feelings, if that's what needs to happen. Because those cheerleader critique partners are great. But also, they're not going to help you improve a lot.
1: Yeah. And the second part to that is, when I signed with my agent, my second agent, I joined this incredible community of her clients. Mm -hmm. And we're all really close. And we're all going through various stages of our careers and publication path. And we're able to share the knowledge at different levels. And it's been incredibly helpful. And we also all feel like we're experiencing something quite unique because we're all represented by the same agent. Um, so that group of writers is really special. And finding a group that you feel a real connection with and can build something with over time and over years is
0: is magic. Mm. Can you tell us about the book that is coming out this September?
1: Yes. It is called The Second Chance Hotel, and it's about a couple who meet in Greece after backpacking around Europe. Her life is a mess, and she's there to reset things before diving back into real life at home. But after too much Retsina, the couple is tricked into marrying each other, and then they're gifted the hotel they're staying in, a hotel that they don't want that is in desperate need of TLC. They agree to keep the hotel open through the busy summer season. And in working together, they start feeling that spark of attraction. It's just that this was always supposed to be temporary. So they need to figure that out.
0: Mm, Nice. All right. Thank you, Sierra, so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with my listeners. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Sierra's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash sarahnicholas. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. Again, that is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.